0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, hey, well, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks that we are going to conclude today, and it's been called Beyond Basic. And uh, we've been talking about just that, going beyond the basics of our faith as our key scripture has been encouraging us to do so. And i got a lot of content today. I hope you can listen fast because I'm going to talk fast. But I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about. So I want to dive right in without all the fluff and frills. Can we go straight to the Bible? you guys okay with that? Open it up to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 6. And uh, we are going to read the first couple of verses there and then we're going to dive in. By the way, there's a lot of new people here today. And it is an honor to have you in the room if you are our guest this morning. Thank you for joining us. I hope we don't offend you, but we might. Um, And I hope no one is mean to you. And if they are, just come tell me. We'll kick them out and send them to another church. All right. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding." Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward. Somebody say move forward. That is the goal of this series, and that was the aim over the last four weeks, and by the way, we teed you up for this because starting next week, we are going to move forward into some further understanding, and we're going to start a series next week called Supernatural, and we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the things of God and how to have supernatural peace and supernatural perspective and supernatural power. Come on, somebody, and it's going to be a fun series, so we've been teeing you up for the next series by going through some of the basics and making sure we have a strong foundation. Uh, And Today, we're going to conclude by talking about the last two subjects that the writer of Hebrews encourages us to go beyond, and that is uh, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about the laying on of hands. We've talked about baptism. Last week, we had some guy dress up like a sheep. Well well done, Drew. That was awesome. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and I see it on your faces because that's not a sermon that anybody's like, hey, could you preach on that one? That would be great, Right? (laughs) Like eternal judgment, that sounds good. Let's go with that one. We used to do this series uh, every summer back at our old church in Vacaville, and uh, it was called You Asked For It, and we would survey the congregation and say, what do you want us to talk about over the summer? What are kind of the hot-button topics? And, uh, and we'll cover that in, in, in Scripture. And people would always submit basically the same list over and over and over again. It was like, I want to know how to hear the voice of God, and I want to learn more about relationships. And I'm sorry, I said that like it was insulting. That's a good thing to know, how to hear the voice of God and, <laughs> You know, I, I want to hear more about what's going on politically in our world. But there was never a dude who submitted a question saying, you know what, I'd like to talk about eternal judgment. That would be really, really good. Let's, let's talk about that subject. Because it's, it's a pretty intense subject. But I would submit to you this morning that there is perhaps no other subject that we need to have a strong grasp on and an understanding around because it's something that every single one of us are going to face. Think about it for a moment. Most of us are here today because we buy into the idea that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere, and that eternity is based on how you live this life on earth. We all believe that we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for our life, and so if that's what we're banking on in these few short years we have to live here on planet earth, shouldn't we have a bit of a handle and a grasp on eternity? I think we should. In fact, I think that that's probably my main job as a pastor. If this is your church and I'm your pastor, my main job is to get you prepped for eternity. Not to make you comfortable here on earth, not to get you into a type of church service where the temperature's just right and the coffee tastes okay and the donut holes are decent and you know the company's all right. I mean, all that stuff is great and we want you to enjoy your experience here, but at the end of the day, if I have not prepped you for eternity, then I have failed you as a pastor. That is my main job as the guy who's supposed to be carrying this thing. And so today, over the next couple of moments, here's my goal. I'm gonna get you ready. I want it not because you're gonna die today, okay? Like we don't there's no Kool-Aid to drink after this is all said and done. But because we're all gonna face eternity at some point, and I want you to be prepared for it. I want you to get ready. Come on, tap someone next to you, slap them and say, get ready. Do it in like the TD voice jake, like get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive into this and um, let me pray and, and, and we'll get in. But Uh, If you take notes, uh, I want to give you a title that I'm really excited about this morning, hence the large chair on the stage. Uh, We're going to call this sermon, Name of Thrones. Name of Thrones. Not to be confused with the pornographic television show that many of you have watched. Burn! Yeah, okay. Name of Thrones, because names truly matter when it comes to eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning, and I thank you for your people. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word that we have a moment to study together. And I pray over the next few moments we have together um, that you would do something supernatural in every heart, that you would get our eyes off of the temporary things of this planet, and you would allow us for just a moment to get a glimpse of eternity. Lord, as as the Apostle Paul said, like, I don't want to live for the things of this life. I want to live for eternity. Not for the temporary pleasures of this life, but I have my eyes set on something greater. I pray that that perspective would be planted in every heart today. Let us leave this place with a fresh desire and a fresh passion to make an impact on this planet before we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. All right, I'm going to make a polarizing statement uh, from the get-go here. And I understand that as I say this. Um, half of you might applaud and the other half of you are going to judge me uh, and I'm okay with that I, I understand that that comes with the territory um, but my wife and I have recently started re-watching some of the early seasons of The Office yeah see it's polarizing some of you are looking at me with those eyes You're like oh you're going to knock Game of Thrones but you're going to watch The Office Okay. and others of you are like yes that's the Lord's show and I understand it all, it all works out um, but last Sunday, we were watching The Office together, and uh, my kids had gone home to be with my parents for a couple of days, and uh, I, uh, I got to spend some time with my wife alone, and so we were on the couch doing the whole Netflix and chill thing, hey, uh, and um, we were watching uh, the early seasons of The Office, and as we were watching one of the episodes, I was literally inspired about the sermon I'm going to preach today. Yes, a, a, a non-spiritual show inspired me in a spiritual way, and I just love that shows can do that. And so uh, pardon me this morning while I take a few moments and I lay out a narrative that was found in the office and draw deep spiritual significance for all of us from it, okay? (laughs) Some of you are like, all right, I'm going to leave this church. I'm done. If you need to leave, you can go now. That's fine. (laughs) Episode six, season three. Title, Dunder Mifflin Does Diwali. Here's the setting. Kelly... Uh, one of the office workers in a Scranton, Pennsylvania paper company known as Dunder Mif- Mifflin uh, in competition with Staples and other large, uh, large big box stores. I'm giving you the whole thought here in case you've never seen the show because some of you don't have a framework for this, but you're going to want to go watch the show after this. Uh, Kelly has invited all of her co-workers to join her at a Diwali celebration, which is the Hindu Festival of Lights, that evening with her family. Uh, the problem is that Kelly has no clue what takes place at this ceremony. She doesn't know the reason behind it. All she knows is that it's a lot of fun. And so as she begins to explain to her coworkers all day long what they can expect that evening as they ask her what they should wear and what they should do, uh, she begins to tell them all, all kinds of wrong things. Like, oh, my God, it's so much fun. And, like, we're going to dance and we're going to eat some food and it's going to be great and we're going to have so much fun and you should come, and, which is literally how she talks. And... The rest of the coworkers are trying to figure out, okay, what, what's this all about? What, what am I supposed to do when I get there? But Michael, the kind of sideways manager of the office who always makes the wrong decision, overhears a conversation between Ryan, Kelly's reluctant boyfriend, and Kelly about the fact that He is going to be wearing a traditional Hindu kurta, I think is the name of it, Uh, and he was gonna be dressing up the part as he goes to the Diwali celebration. And so Michael, because he doesn't have a framework, assumes that this is in fact a costume party where you can wear whatever you want, and that's something that you need to come dressed appropriately to. So Michael tells his girlfriend, Carol, who is his real wife in life, Nancy, played uh, Carol on the show, and he says, we're gonna go to this party, and we can wear whatever we want. You can dress up, it's gonna be a costume party. So the two of them show up, and while everybody else is dressed appropriately for the party, he shows up in a Halloween costume from a previous episode with a papier-mâché version of his own head on his shoulder, which is awesome, and his girlfriend shows up dressed as a sleazy cheerleader, all right? They walk into the setting, and everybody at the party kind of turns and looks at them like, what is wrong with you? And his girlfriend, Carol, who's now obviously very embarrassed about the fact that she's wearing a cheerleader outfit to a Diwali celebration, looks at her boyfriend and says, Michael, I thought you told me it was a costume party. Here's the part where I draw deep spiritual significance. Okay. The more and more I read the Bible and the more and more I study about eternity, the more I I feel like that fictional setting is actually a pretty clear narrative of what eternity is going to feel like for some people. People walking into a setting that they did not prepare for, that they did not plan for, and that they didn't do the work on earth during this life to discover what's expected of them when they walk into this place where they weren't even sure they believed existed. And and to take the analogy even a step further, I think there's a lot of carols in this world who have taken the bad advice, the uninformed advice of people who assume that they know what eternity is supposed to be like or whether or not it exists, their agnostic friend or their uh, God-hating professor or the pervasive culture that they find themselves in, and they're basing their understanding of eternity on somebody else's opinion only to find out when they show up in eternity that the person they were trusting was mistaken. And now they're face-to-face with the reality that Jesus is who he says he was that eternity is in fact real, and that everybody's going to spend it somewhere based on how they lived this life. And again, to draw the analogy even further, I don't wanna be the Kelly in this scenario. I don't wanna be the person who invites you to come somewhere with me, but really doesn't understand what it's all about. I don't wanna be the pastor like, hey guys, we should go to heaven, it's gonna be great, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be like or how you get there, but just dress however you want and we're going to have some fun and we're going to party and it's going to be amazing only to show up and find out that even the guy you trusted to lead you in the right direction actually never did the research to equip you so that you knew what to expect when you get there. I think that we all need to be prepared because it's happening whether we like it or not. So, So I want to prepare you today. I want to prepare you to stand before Jesus and understand how those conversations are going to take place. Because here's what I know to be true. Eternity does not have to be a mystery for us. We don't have to wonder whether or not we're good enough to make it into heaven and our good outweighs our bad or if we were born into the right family or we belong to the right denomination here on earth. It does not have to be a mystery. Where and how we spend eternity is something that all of us can be sure of while we're here on this planet. And it is all based on what happens around a couple of thrones in heaven. And that's the name of the message today name of thrones because I think we need to understand where we're going to be standing and what conversations are going to be taking place as we enter into this place called heaven. Now, the first throne is a throne that I think all of us as Christians have probably read about and we're familiar with. It's known as the great white throne, the great white throne judgment is what the Bible calls it. And this is the everybody throne. I'm going to sit down because it feels fun. No, because now I'm sitting in the place of Jesus. That's weird. Okay. But the great white throne judgment, and everybody's going to stand before this particular throne. Every person who ever lived, the dead will rise, and we will all give an account for our life before Jesus. And this is a throne that determines where you spend eternity. Now, let me, let me give you a sampling in scripture out of the book of Revelation so we can get a picture of how this all goes down. But it says in Revelation chapter 20, uh, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, meaning everybody, standing before the throne. And watch this, books, plural, were opened. Another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. The spiritually dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. and Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I want us to see something here. Um, I don't actually know how this all plays out. The Bible doesn't give us grave detail, but here's how it plays out in my head. There's kind of one of those intercom systems like they have in the fast food joints in heaven. And they're uh, can I get a Timothy Irving Biddle, please, to the front? And yeah, that's my middle name, so whatever. Just judge me all you want, okay? He says, uh, could you come front for judgment? And I I come up, hey, how's it going? Hi, 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 hi. I'm Tim, nice to see you. He says, okay, uh, it's time to look into the books. And as I approach the, the great white throne, there will be a stack of books on one side and a book on the other, singular. The stack of books contains all of the details of my life. The good, the bad, the ugly, that time I yelled at my kids, that span of time between junior high and high school. Come on, somebody. Okay. (laughs) All of that is in there. (laughs) That's terrifying for some of us. (laughs) On the other side, there is the book, the book of life. And Jesus will first look into this book to determine whether or not my name is written in the book of life. And if my name is found written in the book of life, then I don't have to concern myself about where I'm going to be spending eternity based on what is written in the books, because I have bought into the idea that Jesus made a way for me to spend an eternity with him, and I served him on this planet, and so now I get to go into eternity with him. But if my name is not found in the book, According to the scriptures, then the books are opened, and ultimately we're judged based on what we did on this planet. And I wish I could say, well, as long as your good outweighs your bad, which is how most people perceive heaven's entrance to be, it says that the books are opened, and anyone's name who's not found in the book, it doesn't matter how good they tried to live, their eternity is spoken for, and they spend an eternity apart from Christ. Now, what is the determining factor as to whether or not my name is in the book? It's all based on how I answer one very simple question. And if you're taking notes, you should write this down because this is the most important question you are ever going to be asked in your entire life. Here it is. God's gonna look at you and he's gonna look at me and he's gonna say, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? I sent him to the planet to die a death that you deserved. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Any person who has ever sinned in all time in history deserves a wage, and that wage is death. But I didn't want you to die because I wanted relationship with you, so I poured out my wrath on my one and only son, the most basic scripture in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus so that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life with him in heaven. I gave you Jesus What did you do with him? Did you accept him? Did you serve him? Did you love him? Or did you reject him? Did you chalk him up as a historical figure that was probably a pretty nice guy, but not someone worth giving your entire life to? What did you do with Jesus? And the answer to that question determines whether or not we spend eternity with Christ or apart from Christ. Now, that might sound a little intense, and I know that some people are like, I just, that just sounds like a really mean God. Why would God create a place like hell and send people there? That's, that just seems like a really mean thing to do. What kind of loving God would do that? Well, let me remind us today that hell was never created for people. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. But the wages of sin is, in fact, death, according to Scripture. And hell is simply a place where humanity can choose whether or not they want to pay the own price for their sin... Or if they're going to allow Jesus to pay the price for their sin and accept him as their atoning sacrifice and as their savior. That is the purpose of these two eternities. And I pray that we have the right answer. What did you do with Jesus? Now, I already know that it's heavy in here because I feel it. You feel that kind of stuff as a communicator. But I'm going to take it even a step further because... Even as I say that, there are a lot of people like, okay, I know that. That's the basic stuff. Like, we got that all figured out. But I would be remiss if I did not camp on this for just another moment because the Bible tells us that even those who might understand how this whole thing works still might not get the answer to the question right when they're posed in heaven, what did you do with Jesus? And I'm not talking about those who clearly rejected God here on this planet. I'm talking about people who from the outside looked as though they were serving him. Look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 7. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, how many many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is perhaps one of the most terrifying scriptures in the entire Bible to me. Why? Because it's not written to people that have rejected Jesus. It's not written to people who I want nothing to do with church, I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to live my own life. No, these are people that called him Lord. He said many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, we're talking about people that are probably sitting in churches all around the globe today and holding out for the well-done good and faithful servant, but there's a different sentence stored up for them. Why? Because they never really knew Jesus. They had a conceptual understanding. They had a religious system that they bought into, but they never truly had relationship with him. And he gave a list that was you know, keen in their day, you know, prophesied and cast out demons, but basically he was just drawing cultural context. So let me make it culturally contextual for us today, okay? Many will say to Jesus on that day, hey, I went to church at least once or twice a month whether I needed it or not or I I, I sang songs about you and man I even I even got rid of all my secular music and I listened to the Christian stuff and it was not that good (laughs) on my Facebook profile and on my match.com I put Christian on there like I stood up for you on this planet I put a tfh.church bumper sticker on the back of my car and I honked and waved when the Christians were holding the signs out front of the church there. Yeah, I, I, I did the good stuff. And listen, all those things are great. Minus only listening to Christian music because you should probably allow a little more variety into your life. But none of that stuff constitutes relationship. All of those are rituals and religious stuff that people do with or without a heart that's attached relationally to Jesus. And he's not looking for religion He's not looking for you to be a good Catholic or a good Lutheran or a good Baptist or a good non-denominational, whatever that means. He's looking for a true, genuine, fire-filled, passionate relationship with every single person on this planet. He did not die so that you could go through dead religious cycles. He died so that he could be in relationship with us. It's all relationship. That's why... He says, listen, you can go through the motions and still not enter into eternity because the only qualifier to cross the threshold of the doorway of heaven is relationship. That's what gets you in. I remember when Robin and I were were youth pastors for for years, um, there was this girl, and I won't say her name in case she ever listens to this podcast, uh, but she was wildly obsessed with Justin Bieber. I mean, more so than any young girl I had ever met. She wore shirts all the time. She wrote his name in Sharpie on her arm and on her shoes. She knew the lyrics to every single one of his songs. She went to every one of his concerts anywhere. He was like within 100 miles of, of where we lived. Like, she knew like weird details about his life. I remember one Wednesday night she came to church. She's like, oh my God, did you know that Justin Bieber likes peanut butter cups? I like peanut butter cups. It's like we're soulmates. Do you think if we got together he'd call me Buttercup? Like, I didn't, you know, it's just, I knew all this random stuff about Justin Bieber. I think she had, like, one of those weird Instagram fan pages, too, where she, like, Photoshopped her face in with him and stuff, and we probably should have prayed more for her. But anyway, imagine if, if that girl somehow discovered Justin Bieber's address in Los Angeles, got on a Southwest flight for $69 and flew into Orange County and rented a car and made her way through the hills and showed up on Justin Bieber's doorstep knocks on the door and the door opens and she's like, Justin, hi. Do you think Justin Bieber is going to let her in to his home? Absolutely not. Why? Because she's psychotic. But also because there's no relationship. He doesn't know her. And she doesn't know him. She thinks she knows him because she's seen some photos and some videos and maybe sang a few of his songs and written his name on her arm. And she has a conceptual understanding of who he is, but there's no genuine relationship there. And only relationship is going to allow her access beyond the threshold of his doorway. And Jesus is exactly the same way. Relationship is not governed based on how much you know about somebody or how many details that, you you know, you can draw out of words and books that have been written about him. You can have tattoos that talk about Jesus. You can have the T-shirts that have Jesus across the front. You can sing every single one of his songs, but that doesn't mean you're in relationship with him. Do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And listen, I, I don't ask this question this morning to produce guilt or doubt in anybody's mind. I'm not trying to like freak anybody out here like, oh my gosh, am I going to heaven? I don't know. Like, I don't want that to be the fruit of what we're talking about this morning. I want you to know. Yeah. I want you to be confident. I want you to be able to say, listen, if I walked out these doors today and God forbid I lost my life, I know that I'm gonna be standing before Jesus and he's gonna utter those words to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that's been set before you because you had relationship with me on planet earth. That's what I want for you. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, because of our faith, God has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and we joyfully look forward to eternity. I want you to confidently and joyfully look forward to eternity, not fearfully wonder if you're going to make it. Listen, you could be a, a humanitarian, a philanthropist. None of that stuff matters. Did you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, and if you can say yes to that question, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and your eternity is spoken for, you're going to be with Jesus. That's it. Now, I think most of the Christians in the room are familiar with that one, and maybe that was news to some of you today. Awesome, we're gonna give you an opportunity at the end of the service today to say yes to Jesus so that we can ensure that your name is written in the right book. But despite the overwhelming evidence of scripture, I think that a lot of people, a lot of Christians are unfamiliar with a second throne that we're gonna stand in front of. And this is not the throne that determines where you spend eternity, but rather how you spend eternity. And the Bible calls this one the judgment seat of Christ. I hate to call it judgment because it's really less of a judgment and more of a rewards kind of ceremony thing. Uh, but the Bible calls it judgment, so I'm kind of restricted to Bible words here. But look at what the Bible says about the judgment seat of Christ. I'm gonna give you a couple of scriptures here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, for we who believers in Jesus, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we will be called to an account and must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for their actions, Purposes, goals, motives, the use or misuse of their time, opportunities, and abilities. Look at what it says. I know, right? Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have already laid which is what? Jesus Christ. Again, pause. We're talking about people who have built their lives on Jesus. Not those who are not going to spend eternity with him, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Anyone who builds on that foundation, on Jesus, may use a variety of materials. They could have spent their life building with gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, going to heaven, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is the Bible. This This is the word of God. This is not somebody's opinion. This is what the Bible says about our eternity. The judgment seat of Christ. Again, it's not for the unredeemed. This is where every Christian is going to stand and how we spend eternity is going to be based on a conversation that takes place regarding how we live this life. And here's the second question. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're expecting to spend eternity with Christ, here's the second question you need to be prepared for. I know what you did with Jesus. You're going to heaven. You said yes to him. But what did you do with your life? What did you do with the 70, 80, 90 precious years that God gave you on this planet? Did you make it count? Did you leverage everything that God gave you to make a difference for eternity? Or did we live small, temporal, self-focused lives? I think, I can't say this for sure, but I think that the Bible categorically tells us What those conversations are going to look like based on three precursors that Jesus gives us in Scripture. He tells a number of parables and stories about it. He says, What did you do with the time, the talents, and the treasures that I gave you? The time, that is the same amount we've all been given. We all got 24 hours in a day. And I don't know how the math breaks down, but we all have the same number of minutes and seconds as well. (laughs) What did you do with the time I gave you on this planet? And what did you do with the talents? That is, the unique abilities, the gifts that I gave to you. You know how it's really easy for you to talk to people? What did you do with that? You know how you are musically inclined? What did you do with that? You know how I gave you the gift of administration and organization and it was clear that you were a leader? How you, how'd you handle that? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? And then treasure. I'd love to massage it and make it sound... You know, like it's not just money, but it's money. (laughs) What'd you do with the money I gave you? What did you do with the job that I provided for you? Did you do something with that? Again, I don't know how the conversation takes place, but I imagine as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to see all the opportunities that God presented to us and have to give an account for those opportunities. Hey, What did you do when I placed you in an era, when you were born in a time and season on planet Earth, when the Bible was more accessible than it has ever been in history? You could pick up your phone and you could read the Word of God. You could subscribe to a podcast and hear somebody read the Word of God to you. You could open up 75 different translations of the Bible and you could study its depth. What did you do with the time that I gave you on planet Earth because you were born in a season that many others would have never dreamed could have been possible? Did you use that season to truly dive into the depths of my word or did it collect dust on your shelf? What did you do with this amazing church that I gave you? (laughs) Humble brag. What did you do with this amazing facility and this church that I entrusted to you and, and we put you in the middle of the greatest city on planet earth that affects culture far beyond its borders and it affects what's happening in other nations and All around the globe. What did you do with that church? Did you just show up and warm a seat? Did you serve it? Did you give to it? Did you lay down your life to see it grow? Not because we're wanting to brag about numbers, but because there's millions of people within a 20-minute drive of here that are on their way to an eternity without Christ because their name is written in the wrong set of books. What did you do with it? What did you do with the religious freedom that I gave you? I put you in America, and despite all of her problems and all the issues we face as a nation and the polarizing political climate, what did you do with the fact that it is undeniable I put you in a country where you could serve Jesus unashamedly like no other country on the planet? Did you run after him with abandonment? Did you give your life fully to him? Did you extend the gospel to the nations as I called you to do, or did you just sort of enjoy the freedoms? You know how I gave you that unique ability to understand technology or science or finance or whatever it is? And I gave you that job. I know you think you got it for yourself because you went to college and you got the degree, but I gave you the acumen so that you could operate the way you do. What did you do with the job I blessed you with? You know that coworker that sat next to you that you knew needed Jesus? Did you avoid the conversation because it might get weird and you have to see that person every single day? Or were you driven by this desire to see their eternity spoken for and you refused to stay silent, even if you knew that there could have been a weird conversation with your manager about your job? Was it about your job or was it about souls? What'd you do with that money I gave you? I gave you enough if you budgeted correctly And didn't spend it all on yourself so that you could do exactly what I asked you to do in scripture. You could give to the house of the Lord and you could pay all of your bills. And you would have more than enough left over so that you could be generous. And you could even store up some for your children's children as it says in Proverbs. Did you leverage those for the kingdom? Or is it all about your own personal financial future? I'm sorry if this is getting personal, but I'd rather it be personal here on a Sunday morning in a weird Masonic building with weird guys painted on the walls than when you were standing before the throne of Christ giving an account for the very things we're talking about. I love you too much to wait until we're in eternity for you to have an awkward conversation with Jesus. I want you to know, no, I am using my life on this planet for eternity. I am leveraging everything that God has given me to make a difference in people's lives because I am not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life in Christ. That's why we're here. I am so grateful when I look around this room, when I see people that are leveraging their lives for the kingdom, that are laying it all down to say, I'm going to do everything I can to see the kingdom of God advance on this planet before I see Jesus. Let me just brag on a few people in the room. I am grateful for guys like Joe Modesto and Ceci and Isaac and the Barch family and Jen who show up here every single Sunday at 645 with 1700 kids in tow or however many they've had at this point. And they wake their little babies up so they can come into church, and their eight year olds are setting up lights, and their 10 year olds are flying screens, and they're making it possible for people to encounter the presence of Jesus in a room like this every single Sunday. What is that? Well, I could sleep, but I could also wake up, and I could leverage the time that God has given me, and the unique skill set that God has given me, and the fact that He's put breath in my lungs and a skip in my step, and I can serve the house of God so that people can come to know Jesus. I'm grateful for James and Holly. Where are you at, James? He won't even raise his hand because he's embarrassed of this, but five weeks in a row, this guy shows up every single Sunday and he sets up that entire lobby out there so that it looks pretty when people walk in the doors and they don't walk in going, oh, this is a weird building. Everything's orange and there's weird guys painted on the walls, but instead there's a big sign that says, welcome home and it smells good and it feels inviting. Why? Because some guy said, I could sleep, but I'm going to show up early and I'm going to make sure that there's an atmosphere set for people that walk into the house. And I could go on down the list, Richard and Juanita and so many that come every single week and they serve early. I'm grateful for John and Priscilla and Brandon and Samantha and Guilherme and Jonah and Caitlin and and, and so many others, Drew and Michelle. and These people who literally picked up their lives and forsook comfort to come out to the most expensive and unreached city in the United States to build a church because they believed that God wasn't done with San Francisco yet, but that he still had a plan to see many come to know him in this city. And I probably forgot 15 other people. Carlos, Kara, Kea, other K names. What is that? That's saying I'm going to do everything I can while there's breath in my lungs for the 85 years God's given me on this planet. I'm going to build the kingdom. Because when I stand before Jesus, how much I had in my 401k and what kind of house I lived in and what kind of car I drove and how many vacations I went on, none of that stuff is going to matter. I want to build a life that matters. Rest assured, God expects you to make the most of this life. God expects us to make our lives count. You can have a saved soul but a wasted life. And I don't want that for anybody in here. If I could grab you by the face, I would say today, make it count. Make your life count. Lay it down. Build, serve, love, extend the kingdom of God while you're on this planet. You will not regret a life like that. Because we're all going to stand here at some point. And I want us to have the right answers. I want us to be able to say, yeah, I had a relationship with Jesus. And I loved him with my whole heart. And I also want to be able to say, I did everything I could on that planet to tell people about you, Jesus. I leveraged my life and everything I had to extend your kingdom. And he's going to look at you, and I would love to tell you about all the rewards. That's in a different series and a different season as we talk about heaven and all that. But, man, you're going to be glad you did. There's probably an extra wing on your mansion in heaven, all right? Band, you guys can come. We're going to land the plane. And uh, I want to land with this thought. I think so often we invest a lot of our lives on this planet assuming that this is the, this is it. This is, this is permanent. And I want us to, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I want us to, to wrap our heads around the idea that this is not your permanent stay. You are passing through this planet. Just to, just to breathe eternity into our lives a little bit this morning. Um, my wife and my daughters, they just got back from their second uh, vacation this summer. And yes, I say my wife and daughters because I did not go on this second vacation. Um, I take our family on a vacation every summer, which generally involves uh, beaches and warm climates and uh, life's basic necessities, like Wi-Fi and restaurants and that sorts of stuff. Um, Every summer, in the back half of the summer, my wife takes our daughters with her family uh, on a trip where they ignore basic hygiene, uh, eat food off the ground, and uh, practice homelessness, also known as camping. And uh, as I've said in previous sermons, I do not camp, I'm not that guy. But uh, I remember when my kids were younger and we took them on a vacation, uh, a real vacation to a hotel. And, My oldest daughter didn't have the ability to wrap her head around the idea of a temporary stay in a hotel room. Uh, So much so that she thought that every place we went on vacation, we owned a home there. And so she would say, and I kid you not, she would say, uh, hey, are we going this year to our Florida home or to our San Diego home or to our Hawaii home? And I'm like, please don't say that in front of people because they're gonna get the wrong idea, right? Like, we are not like that, okay? But she just thought we owned homes in all these random places around the world. And uh, one year we were staying at a hotel in in Hawaii and uh, at the end of our vacation, she'd been sleeping on this fold-out couch in the living room while we were sleeping in a bed. And uh, she said, hey, next time we come here, can we get a new couch? Can we go buy a new couch? Because this one was just not really that comfortable for me. Like I didn't enjoy sleeping on this couch. So I, I think we should replace this one and get a new one. And I'm trying to explain to her like, Sweetheart, we're not gonna buy a couch for this room. This is not our place. Well, isn't this our Hawaii home? No, I mean, we stay kind of in the same place when we come here, but it's not a, she just could not wrap her head around it. But imagine if the next time we showed up to that particular destination in Hawaii, if I had taken my daughter's advice. You know what? You're right, I don't like this couch. Let's go down to the furniture store and let's get a new couch with a new bed. And while we're at it, I don't like the color that they chose for these walls. Let's go ahead and paint the walls while we're here in this hotel room. And that mini fridge is a little too mini, so I think I'm gonna buy a, a slightly larger fridge so that we could really enjoy ourselves while we're here. And gosh, the bed is uncomfortable. You know what would be nice is one of those tempur beds, if I could just, you know, get the one where the back comes up and the legs come up, you turn yourself into a little taco. Like, let's get one of those and let's redo the floors in here. By the time we've finished, we've invested thousands and thousands of dollars and a whole lot of time in refurnishing This hotel room. That would be ridiculous. Why? Because we're only there for a short period of time. It's a temporary stay. I would have wasted a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money in a place that I wasn't going to be in for very long. Friends, you are here for just a moment. This life is a hotel for you. This is a temporary stay and in light of eternity, the Bible says that our life here on earth is like the width of our hand, it's nothing. Let us not be a people that invest all this energy and all this time and all this money and all this passion in redesigning a hotel room when we've got a home that we're going to. Let us invest in our ultimate home. Let us invest in eternity so that when we stand before Jesus he says there's a reward for you there's a reward for you amen hey thanks for taking the time to listen to the father's house podcast we hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey and listen we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult you can go to our website tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer until next time be blessed